When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. The Two-Footed Podcast is brought to you by eplindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geo-blocked from while keeping your data safe. So as an example, if you are a UK expat and want access to BBC iPlayer, to watch Match of the Day or ITV Hub or all four, but you get that message that says this content is not available in your location, a Liberty Shield VPN gets you around that block, allows you to watch whatever you want on those services while also keeping your data safe. And it goes further than that. It allows you to open up Netflix's entire library by just changing your IP address. Liberty Shield is the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot with five-star ratings across the board. So go to libertyshield.com right now, use the code EPL25, and get either the hardware package or the software package. The hardware package is a router that you plug into your existing router, and any item you want to change the IP address on, be it your phone or your television, you connect that to the new Liberty Shield router. All other items can remain connected to your existing router. There's also a software package, which is instantly downloadable to your device and you can get using straight away. Again, libertyshield.com, EPL25 for 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you'll find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 for 10% off at checkout. And lastly, do remember to check out a Tad Predictable hosted by Tadiwa. That podcast is on this feed before every Premier League match week. And then the EPL Roundtable hosted by Kevin DeVries on its own EPL Roundtable feed. So just search EPL Roundtable in your podcast device. And that's out after every match week. Now, on with the show. What's good, boys and girls? Two-footed podcast. Today, 
is Tuesday the 5th of December. Hope you're all well. It's another cold one today. Another very cold one. Anyway, uh, we won't be doing our power ranking list today because there's games and time as well. I haven't had time to fully flush out my lists, but uh, we're going to talk about the big news, which is that Paul Heckenbottom has been fired as manager of Sheffield United. Myself and Guy got into it on Friday as to why I think he's been let down by Sheffield United. Now, I don't think he's a great manager. I'm not saying they've sacked the next Guardiola or anything, but I do feel like when you look at what he achieved there, getting them promoted, when I just don't think you could have made a debate last summer going into 2022-23 that he was managing one of the three or four best teams in the championship. And he took them up automatically in second place. And if not for a historically great season from Burnley, they would have won the championship last season. In a normal championship season, they probably win it. I think that's an an outstanding achievement from Heckenbottom, which should lead to him easily getting another job. But then to be let down the way he was in the summer, to not be given the reinforcements that he needs. And you can go through that squad and it's just not good enough. You don't have a good enough goalkeeper. You're short two starting centre-backs. I like Luke Thomas. I like Jaden Bogle. You get by with them. I like the midfield group. I think you could do it maybe one more in there. I would have, I would have gone for Tommy Doyle when he was available in the summer. And you need at least one more option up front. You need a starter and maybe one more off the bench as well. Like you can't be coming into the Premier League with Ollie McBurney as your starting number nine. You just can't. You can't come into the league and think that that's going to work because it hasn't worked before. He's had two cracks the Premier League and he's been dreadful. This is crack number three and he's been dreadful. And he's a liability. So I think that's a manager who's been let down. I don't really see the logic in bringing back Chris Wilder other than to try and get a boost among the fan base because, yes, he did a tremendous job there the first time taking them from League One to the Premier League. He also oversaw the worst start to a Premier League season ever. Two points from 17 games. Just think of how hard that is to go 17 games in the Premier League without a win. Two draws in 17 games. They had that little bounce back where they won three of five, and then it was just bad after that again. And then he left, and they did improve marginally towards the end of the season. But like they were on track under Wilder to be the second or third best, second or third worst team in Premier League history. They ended up as the eighth worst team in Premier League history in the 2021 season. This season, they're on track to be the second worst team in Premier League history, with only that atrocious Derby County team keeping them off. That tag is to be the worst team in Premier League history. And look, if if Wilder does badly, it could go that way. It really could. But we did the AI scouted pod this morning with Carl Matchett and we were, we were talking about them because obviously Liverpool play them tomorrow night. And we were talking about what they need and they clearly need a goalkeeper. There's just no argument to be made. Fodderingham is not good enough. This is a, a lower league caliber goalkeeper. You know, he made his name at Swindon. 
in League One and League Two, went to Rangers. The Scottish Premier League is is League One standard. But by the time Rangers got good, he'd lost his place in the team. So he was the backup at Rangers. He was signed by Sheffield United to be the backup. When they got relegated, he got into the team when they sold Aaron Ramsdale. And, I mean, he did well in the championship, but it's the championship. He's not a Premier League caliber starter. You just, you're not going to get away with that. In defense, Ahmed Hodzic is the only centre back at that club who's good enough to play in the Premier League. Not, not start, play in the Premier League. And even he has struggled with the physicality and speed of the game this year. But a big part of that is what he has next to him. I like Bogle. He hasn't developed the way I'd hoped he would. He spent too long being a backup to George Baldock. And it really hurt his development. But he's a decent player. I like Luke Thomas. They only have him on loan. I do like Norrington Davies, and I think he's a Premier League caliber player. So left back is set. Vinicius Sousa, McAtee, Hammer, they're good players. But you'd want one more in there. You wouldn't be wanting Ollie Norwood or John Fleck playing Premier League football in 2023. You've got to go and improve in those areas. And then up front, Cameron Archer is a big, big talent. But what else is there? Like, what's around him? Rian Brewster? Flop. McBurney? Flop. Benny Traore? Doesn't seem ready. Oh, Anis Sliman, I should have mentioned in midfield, is another good player. And I think Ishmael Koulibaly has a lot of talent, but he's never been given an opportunity. I don't know whether he doesn't train well. I don't know whether his attitude's not right. I, I don't know. But he's never been given a proper opportunity there. But the midfield is the one area you'd look at and think, okay, you could get by with not doing anything there. But you have to get a striker. You've got to get two centre-backs and you've got to get a goalkeeper. If you're going to be in any way competitive over the next 24 games, of this Premier League season. You've got to go and buy four players and they've all got to be starter quality players. That's going to run you 70, 80, 90 million. And if you're willing to spend that in January for Chris Wilder, why didn't you do it in the summer for Paul Heckenbottom who got you promoted? Like when they came up under Wilder, they didn't spend huge amounts in the first season. If we go back and look, they brought in Luke Freeman. He didn't work out at all. Currently 31 without a club. Spent three years at Sheffield United, having arrived from QPR. Played 16 games the first season. Was loaned out to the championship the second season. And then when they were in the championship, he played eight games. And then he was loaned out again. Like, that's a flop. They brought in Jagielka on a free. It made sense. He was brought in to be a squad player. They signed Callum Robinson. He didn't last all that long there. They signed Ravel Morrison on a free. Lise Mousset was a decent player, but didn't perform for them. 53 games, nine goals. That's a striker. 
Ben Osborne arrived from Nottingham Forest. They spent a decent amount of money on him. He struggled with the Premier League. He did well in the Championship, and he struggled again in the Premier League this time around. They signed Ollie McBurney for $20 million. McBurney came in, scored six goals in 36 Premier League games, won in 23 the next season. Then he went to the Championship and didn't score in 28 games. 13 goals last season, two so far this season, 25 goals in 145 games in all competitions. That's a flop. They signed Jack Rodwell on a free. It didn't work out at all for them. Now, that's not their fault. I probably would have made that same move because, you know, he's an experienced Premier League operator. There is a lot of talent with Rodwell. It's always been more about him. He played two games in total, one in the Premier League. He's been in Australia the last couple of years. They brought in Jack Robinson on a free. I mean, he's playing regularly for them now, but he played 17 Premier League games in the first two campaigns. And they signed Sander Berger in the January for $22 million. And he was good initially. Then he hurt his ankle, missed much of the second season. And it's not like he lit the world on fire in the championship either. Now, they got most of their money back when they sold him to Burnley. But you wouldn't say he was a success at the club. Despite the fact he was one of the best players. They brought in Dean Henderson on loan. That one worked. Mo Besic on loan from Everton. That one didn't work. Um, Panaretsos came in on loan. It didn't work out. And they signed um, Zivkovic. It didn't work out. Like, that's a lot of failed transfers. That's just just the first season. That's not a huge amount of money spent for a newly promoted team. The following season, having had a very good campaign that first year, where it was largely the team who'd gotten promoted. Dean Henderson came in and started, obviously. But Baldock, Stevens, O'Connell, Basham and Egan, that was the back five from their championship campaign. Many of them were there for the League One campaign. It was a really good back five. It all worked very well. Baldock looked fine at that point. Basham looked fine at that point. The midfield, Fleck, Lundstrom and Norwood, again, was the championship midfield. It was only up front that they really made changes. David McGoldrick and um, Ollie McBurney playing regularly as the starting two, but they scored eight goals between them. Leafs Musset got six in the league that year. He was their their top league scorer. But it was mostly the championship team. McGoldrick had been part of that championship team. But everything else, Henderson and the strikers aside, everything else was their unit that came up and were so used to playing together and had mastered Chris Wilder's system. So they get ninth go into the second season. They sign Fodderingham. They pay big money for Ramsdale. They pay pretty big money for Max Lowe and Jaden Bogle. They pay pretty big money to bring in Ollie Burke. They spend pretty big money on Ishmael Koulibaly, and they spent big money on Ream Brewster. And they brought in Ethan Ampadu on loan. 
Now, they made a profit on Ramsdale, but he wasn't good for them. Low and Bogle, I mean, Bogle in the last year has started to show his value. But before that, not so much. Low, a lot of injuries. Burke was a disaster. Koulibaly was signed on the 7th of September 2000. And to date, I think he's played seven games for them. Now, he spent two years on loan. I think initially he was to spend three years on loan, but they brought him in because the team he was on loan at got relegated. He's still only 22. He'll be 23 on Christmas Day. He's still young. But last season in the championship, he played, I think, two games. And this season, I think he's played once in all competitions. And Brewster, I mean, that's been an an unmitigated disaster. Uh, 65 games so far, five goals. In that first campaign, 27 league games, 30 games in all competitions, no goals. None. No goals at all. In the championship, he played 14 games and got three goals. Four and 16 in all comps in 21-22. Last season, he played 16 games in the championship and scored once. Five goals from 65 games for 23.5 million. And that is, that's devastating for a club who don't have, you know, massive money behind them. But you look at those transfers and you tell me which one was successful. Which Chris Wilder transfer in the Premier League actually improved the team. And like I say, this team needs to spend money in January, but would you trust Chris Wilder to spend it? Because I wouldn't. Personally, I wouldn't. I wouldn't trust him to spend that money. I think Heckenbottom, to his credit, with the limited resources he had, I think he did a better job. Remember, Heckenbottom took over from Wilder. Then in the summer, they decided he wasn't to be the guy. And they brought in Slavisa Jokanovic, who'd gotten both Watford and Fulham promoted. And they brought him in. He lasted three months. And was sacked. They bring in Heckenbottom, doesn't get the summer transfer window. In January, they bring in Adam Davies as a backup keeper, Connor Barrett. They don't do a whole lot. The one signing from that year that really worked out well for them was the loan signing of Morgan Gibbs White. Now, to be fair, Connor Huron, I think, had a pretty good yeah, he had a pretty good loan spell there. Um, but Gibbs White was was sensational. But they looked into Illiman and Jai and how talented he was. And Billy Sharp had a bounce-back season, having you know not really been Premier League calibre. Then last summer, they bring in Ahmed Hodzic. He's worked out really well. They signed Tommy Doyle and James McAtee on loan. Both of them worked out really well. They brought in Kieran Clark on loan and Reda Kadra on loan. Ahmed Hodzic and the two boys from City all worked really well. But again... It was still heavily reliant on a lot of the players that had kind of gotten them promoted the first time. Baldock, Basham, Egan, 
all playing regular games for them. Lowe and Bogle started to get more run last season. But in midfield, again, it's John Fleck. Again, it's Ollie Norwood. They were very, very fortunate last season that Enjoy had an outstanding campaign, that the loanies they brought in from City were really good. Now, that's what you bring them in for. But they all clicked really well. And Ahmed Hodzic was outstanding last season. And they get promoted, and then they just don't do nearly enough. And now they've made a change. <clears throat> and I have to ask why they're making it now. Like, your new manager bounce, you're probably looking at the next six games. Their next six games are horrendous. They've got Liverpool, Chelsea, Villa, and City in that run. Chelsea, City, and Villa are all away. Now, they get Brentford at home. Maybe they get a point there. They go, they, they play Luton home. Maybe they win that one. You don't expect them to get anything from Liverpool tomorrow night. So, like, as I said, four points is what I'd be looking at. And I think that's the same regardless of who the manager is. So then you've got to go into January. Your new manager bounce is gone. You've got to trust a guy to recruit whose record of recruitment when he's had significant money to spend has not been good, who's failed in his two jobs since leaving you. Like, if you were going to make a change, you should have done it six weeks ago. Because the start has been so poor that at no point have they looked competitive. They lose to Palace. They lose to Forest. They lose to City. They did give City a good game. They draw with Everton. They lose to Spurs. Again, they gave them a good game. They got battered by Newcastle. They were not at all competitive against West Ham, Sheffield United. They gave United a bit of a tough test. They got hammered by Arsenal. Then they somehow beat Wolves. They drew at Brighton. That was two good results. Those are two very good results. Then you're beaten by Bournemouth and you're hammered by Burnley. Like The time to make the change was probably after the 8-0 shellacking at home to Newcastle, if you were going to do it. Now, that would have been really harsh, given Heckenbottom had brought them up. But I, I feel like they've done it at the wrong time. It, it's, it's both too late and too early, because had they waited till after the City game, or even sacked him before the City game and not appointed a new manager until after the City game, you'd be looking at it and thinking, right, January, get players in. You've got that bit of a window. Been off the FA Cup. Completely forget about it. Go all out on the training ground, developing what what you want to put on the pitch, and then you'll get your bounce. They're not going to be able to do it. They're just not going to be able to do it. Now, it it is surprising, actually, how late we are in this season with this being the first managerial change made. It is December 5th, and this is the first managerial change of the season. Now, you could count Lopetegui, but that was before games were played. So December 5th, how does that compare to previous years? So let's, let's take a little walk down memory lane. We'll do a bit of nostalgia for today. The first Premier League season, 92-93, the only manager to lose his job that season was Ian Porterfield of Chelsea. He was sacked in the February of that season. 
in 93-94, Peter Reid was sacked on the 26th of August. Ceased had just begun. Uh, Bobby Gould resigned. Howard Kendall resigned. Ian Brantford was sacked in January. So barring the Peter Reid sacking in August, which had more to do with falling out with the owner than anything else, really. Um, the first real sacking of that season was in January, with Dave Merrington being sacked. Um, sorry, with, with Ian Brantford being sacked by Southampton, he would be replaced by Alan Ball. You also had Graham Souness sacked in the January, replaced by Roy Evans. And in a weird, weird move, Mike McGiven. Remember I said a few weeks ago about managers being promoted to director of football to basically get them away from the team? So Ipswich in the summer of 93 had promoted John Lyle from manager to director of football and appointed his assistant Mick McGiven as manager. And then in the February, because the season was getting away from them, they reverted to McGiven as the assistant and Lyle came back down as manager. And to the credit, they ended up staying up. Um, funnily enough, Sheffield United were relegated that season. Um, so there we go, January for that season. Um, 94-95, November 1st, Ozzy Ardiles is sacked, replaced by Jerry Francis. Mike Walker is sacked by Everton, replaced by Joe Royal. And Ron Atkinson is sacked by Aston Villa, replaced by Ryan Little. They all took place in the November. 95 96. 95 96, January is the first sacking of the season. Roy McFarland sacked by Bolton. Colin Todd becomes manager. Now, if I'm not mistaken, if I'm not mistaken, McFarland and Todd were joint managers that year. They'd replaced Bruce Reoch, who'd gotten Bolton promoted and then got the Arsenal job, replacing George Graham. Well, replacing Stuart Houston, who'd been the caretaker manager after Graham was forced to resign. Um, McFarland was sacked. Todd took on uh, sole control of the team. 96-97, uh, the first sacking of the season is in September, September 10th, very early. Howard Wilkinson sacked and replaced by Graham, uh, by George Graham. Um, the only sacking of the season, would you believe? Moving on, 97-98. David Pleat sacked by Sheffield Wednesday on the 3rd of November is our first sacking of that season. Ruth Hullett would be sacked later in that year and Steve Koppel, following a great tradition, would be promoted to director of football uh, in the March by Crystal Palace. Uh, 98-99, our first sacking is Kenny Dogleash sacked by Newcastle on the 27th of August followed by Christian Gross, sacked by Spurs on the 5th of September. For those that don't remember Christian Gross, he turned up at his introductory press conference with a ticket to the London Underground, 
saying that it was his ticket to his dream. And in his head, in his own language, it was probably quite cool. It didn't play very well and he looked like a bit of an idiot. Um, and it was harsh because he was harshly judged from there. He was a good manager who'd done well before he arrived at Spurs, did well after he left Spurs. And unfortunately, that sort of that, that sort of wrote the narrative on him from the first press conference. And uh, he never really recovered. Uh, sacked later in that season, Roy Hodgson by Blackburn in the November. And then Dave Bassett sacked by Nottingham Forest in January. Uh, Dave Bassett was is just one of those really good managers from back then. I'm going to do a nostalgia day on 90s managers um, featuring the likes of Dave Bassett and Joe Kinnear and George Graham and people like that. Uh, moving on to 99-2000, through those seasons that we've just been through, there's only been two seasons where there's been a later first sacking than this current season. Um 99-2000, the first sacking is Dave Jones in January of 2000. Uh, contract terminated by Seth Hampton. Actually, three seasons, wasn't it? No, two seasons where it was later. That's now three. Three Premier League seasons where the first managerial sacking has been later than this season. 2000-2001, uh, Gianluca Vialli, first manager sacked. 12th of September to be replaced by Claudio Ranieri. Uh, in November, Chris Hutchins is sacked by Stuart McCall, sacked by Bradford and replaced by Stuart McCall as caretaker. And funnily enough, Stuart McCall has been sacked today by Sheffield United as part of the backroom staff who've left along with Heckenbottom. Uh, sacked later in that season, George Graham uh, replaced at Spurs by Glenn Hoddle. 0102. First sacking, Peter Taylor, replaced by Dave Bassett. That was the 30th of September. And Stuart Gray was sacked the next day by Southampton and replaced by Gordon Strachan. We also saw Colin Todd sacked by Derby, replaced by John Gregory. And Walter Smith sacked by Everton, replaced by David Moyes. And keeping the great tradition going on the 6th of April, Dave Bassett, who'd been appointed on the 10th of October, was promoted to director of football by Leicester City. Uh, 02-03. Dave O'Leary was sacked in the summer. The first sacking of the season was Peter Reid, sacked by Sunderland on the 7th of October, replaced by Howard Wilkinson. Wilkinson himself was then the next manager sacked on the 10th of March, replaced by... Mick McCarthy, Sunderland, doomed from the offset. Um, Terry Venables sacked by Leeds that year. John Tagana sacked by Fulham in April. But the first sacking, obviously, Peter Reid, who'd done such a good job there, um, but it was just one season too many. Um, on to 03-04, and our first manager sacked is Glenn Hoddle by Tottenham. That was the 22nd of September. Peter Reid will be sacked by Leeds on the 10th of November. And that was basically it for that year. Um, 0405. What have you got? Ranieri sacked in the preseason or sacked in the, in the summer. 
Bobby Robson sacked 30th of August, replaced by Graham Souness. Gary Megson sacked 26th of October by Wes Brom, replaced by Brian Robson. And Southampton sacked Steve Wigley in December and replaced him with Harry Redknapp, who had been previously manager of Portsmouth. And it's long been rumoured that Redknapp knew Southampton were going to sack Steve Wigley and that he wanted the job and that he resigned from Portsmouth so that he wouldn't be under contract and there wouldn't be any kind of hassle because there's no way Portsmouth would have even uh, considered an approach by their biggest rivals. Um, oh five oh six. First sacking 24th of November, Alan Perrin sacked by Portsmouth, replaced by returning with his tail between his legs, Harry Redknapp. Graeme Souness was sacked in the February by Newcastle and Mick McCarthy was sacked by Sunderland in the March as Sunderland put forward the worst season in Premier League history at that point. Uh, 06 07. First sacking of the season is Ian Dowie. 13th of November by Charlton, replaced by Les Reed. Alan Pardew, Les Reed himself, and Chris Coleman would all be sacked later that season. Uh, moving on, 07 08. The first sacking of the season is the 25th of October when Martin Yol was fired by Tottenham, replaced by Juan de Ramos, who'd had some great success. With Sevilla, uh, Chris Hutchins was sacked a couple of weeks later by Wigan and replaced by Steve Bruce. And then Laurie Sanchez would be sacked by Fulham and replaced by Roy Hodgson, who'd obviously go on to do quite well with Fulham, bringing them to Europa League final. Uh, 08 09, our first sacking of the season comes on the 25th of October when Juan de Ramos is sacked and replaced by Harry Redknapp. Uh, who decided to walk out on Portsmouth, having left them on the brink of bankruptcy. Um, 09-10, our first sacking is the 24th of November. It's Paul Hart, who'd replaced Redknapp at Portsmouth. He was replaced by Avram Grant. Mark Hughes will be sacked and replaced by Roberto Mancini, and Gary Megson will be fired by Bolton and replaced by Owen Coyle, who'd done really well at Burnley up until that point. 0910. First sacking of the season, the 6th of December. Chris Hewton sacked by Newcastle, replaced by Alan Pardew. So there's the fourth season where we've had a sacking later than this one as our first sacking of the season. Um, a week after that, Sam Allardyce was sacked by Blackburn and replaced by Steve Keane. Later in the year, we'd see Roberto Di Matteo sacked by West Brom, replaced by Roy Hodgson. And Avram Grant sacked by West Ham, and he would take over. I'm oh, sorry, uh, Kevin Keane would take over there. Um, 11 12. First manager sacked 30th of November. Sunderland fire Steve Bruce and replace him with Martin O'Neill. Neil Warnock, Mick McCarthy, and Andre Vias Boas all sacked later that season. 12 13. 
first manager fired, Roberto Di Matteo, who just won the Champions League six months beforehand, sacked on the 24th, 21st of November. Two days later, Mark Hughes was sacked by QPR. Uh, Nigel Atkins was sacked by Southampton after doing incredible work to bring them from League One into the Premier League. Uh, Brian McDermott will be sacked by Reading. Martin O'Neill would be sacked by Sunderland. And Roberto Mancini would be sacked at the end of the season um, by Manchester City, despite having won the league title the year before. So the European Cup and Premier League winning managers of the 11-12 season would both be sacked within 12 months. That's that's staggering. But that was the ambition of, of Chelsea and Manchester City. Uh, 13-14 then, your first manager fired is Paolo Di Canio. How he was ever allowed to manage Sunderland, I don't know, but he was the first manager sacked on the 22nd of September. You also had Martin Yole, Steve Clark, Malky Mackay, Michael Laudrup, Rene Muhlenstein, Chris Hutton, and David Moyes all sacked in that season. 14-15. Um, first manager fired, Neil Warnock, 27th of December. So there's our fifth season with a manager leaving later than this um, without wanting to leave or have been tagged as mutual consent. Uh, Alan Irvine sacked on the 27th of December. So that's five seasons now that we have. 15-16. Let's have a look. Uh, first manager fired Brendan Rogers, 4th of October. Dick Advocate resigned as Sunderland manager that morning to be replaced by Sam Allardyce. Rogers was sacked after Liverpool drew at Everton. He, he was told the previous week that he was gone. Uh, he would obviously be replaced by Jurgen Klopp. Uh, Tim Sherwood was sacked a few weeks later by Villa, replaced by Remy Gard. Gary Monk would be sacked in December by Swansea and replaced by Alan Curtis. And Jose Mourinho would be sacked by Chelsea, having won the league the year before and replaced by Gus Hiddink, also sacked that year, Steve McLaren and Roberto Martinez. Uh, Martinez, I think, was sacked after the last game of the season. <clears throat> Uh, 16-17, first manager fired, Francesco Guidolin, sacked by Swansea 3rd of October. Alan Pardew, Bob Bradley, who took over from Guidolin at Swansea, um, would only last two and a half months. Mike Phelan of Hull and Claudio Ranieri of Leicester, who'd won the league the year before. That's the third time then we've had a manager win the Premier League and be sacked within 12 months. That's the third time that's happened. Marti- um, Mancini, Mourinho, and now Claudio Ranieri. And frankly, the Ranieri one was a bit of a scandal because the players who he had turned into title winners seemingly turned against him. And his, Craig Shakespeare, who was his number two, um, was was appointed and obviously didn't do very well. But yeah, three times we've had a uh, manager sacked within 12 months of winning the Premier League title. Just crazy. Um, five seasons so far with the manager 
with no manager sacked by this point in the season. Uh, 17-18, Frank DeBoer doesn't let us down. 11th of September, sacked by Palace. Shakespeare will be sacked by Leicester. Cumin was sacked by Everton. Billich was sacked by West Ham. Pulis was sacked by West Brom. All before this point in the season. Um, Paul Clement sacked 20th of December. Mark Hughes sacked by Stoke in the January. Marco Silva sacked by Watford in January. And Maurizio Pellegrino sacked by Southampton in March. Um, 1819, your first manager fired is Slavisa Jukanovic by Sheffield. No, by Fulham that year. Sorry, by Fulham that year. Uh, he'd gotten them promoted and was sacked. Mark Hughes, who'd been sacked by Stoke, taking the Southampton job. He was sacked in the December. Jose Mourinho was sacked in the December. Claude Puel was sacked in February and Claudio Ranieri was sacked by Fulham, their second sacking of the season in February. Uh, 1920, we have first manager fired Javi Gracia by, by Watford. I don't know if we can really count a Watford manager getting fired because it just happens all the time. Maurizio Pochettino sacked on the 19th of November. Unai Emery sacked by Arsenal on the 29th of November. Quite funny that both North London clubs sacked their managers so close together. Uh, Kike Sanchez-Flores, the second Watford manager of the year to be sacked. Uh, Marco Silva, sacked by Everton. Manuel Pellegrini, sacked by uh, West Ham. And just to complete the triple, uh, Watford also sacked Nigel Pearson <laughs> with a couple of games left. So not a great season for the Hornets. Uh, 21-22, after all the COVID mess and we were back to a bit more normality and your first manager fired is Slavin Bilic by West Brom on the 16th of December. So there's season number six with a manager sacked later than this. Frank Lampard was sacked in January and Jose Mourinho was sacked in the April, also leaving the job that year, Chris Wilder. Um this was the COVID season, actually, so it wasn't after the COVID nonsense, but 21-22 was after the COVID nonsense. Um, first manager fired is Zisco Munez of Watford. Uh, next manager fired, that was the 3rd of October. Next up was Nuno Espirito Santo by Spurs on the 1st of November. Uh, Daniel Farka, Dean Smith, Oli Gunnar Solskjaer, Rafa Benitez, Claudio Ranieri, Marcelo Bielsa and Sean Dyche all sacked in that season two. 22-23, our final season. Scott, Scotty Twocoats Parker, sacked on the 30th of August by Bournemouth. Then Thomas Tuchel sacked on the 7th of September by Chelsea. 2nd of October, Bruno Lage sacked. 20th of October, Stephen Gerrard sacked. 7th of November, Ralph Hasenhutl sacked. He still hasn't taken another job, by the way. Uh, Frank Lampard sacked by Everton in the January. Jesse Marsh sacked in the February. Nathan Jones sacked also in February. Um, he'd only taken over in November, of course. Nathan Jones, a great manager. Tremendous. Tremendous gang of lads. Um 
where are we? Uh, Patrick Vieira sacked by Crystal Palace in March. And then Graham Potter <laughs> sacked in April, having only taken over in September. We also had uh, the Javi Gracia being sacked and big Sam Allardyce coming in to rescue Leeds and failing miserably to do the job. Uh, um, right, so that is that is that. We've had six seasons then where a manager has been fired later than this in the history of the Premier League. Um, speaking of managers being sacked, we've had two sackings today in the Championship. So Sunderland, actually this was last night, Sunderland have made the decision to part ways with Tony Mowbray, um, which is a little bit of a surprise. Now, they're not having a tremendous season. They're ninth. Um, but I wouldn't have said it was time to sack him just yet. Now, they haven't won any of their last three, just one win of, in their last four. Uh, sorry, one, one win in the last five. And they've lost uh, five of their last nine. But still, like, they're ninth. It's not like they're caught adrift. They're only three points off the playoff spots. And it's a quite a young squad that he's working with there. A lot of talent in the squad. But I, that's a little bit of a surprise to me. Now, it hasn't been helped by the fact that they're not scoring enough goals. They've only scored 29 in, in the league thus far. And considering they're not an, an elite defensive team, you'd want them to be a bit stronger than that. They're heavily reliant on Jack Clark, who's got nine of their goals this season. I think maybe 10, nine or 10. Um, they're not getting goals from their strikers, which is a concern. But I, I am a little bit surprised. I am a little bit surprised that they've made the decision to uh, to move on from Tony Mowbray. I'll be interested to see... There's been some some rumours or reporting that uh, Nathan Jones could potentially be in the running for that job. I, I think that would be a terrible appointment, personally. Um, he was linked recently, I think, with Rotherham, wasn't he? Yeah, Rotherham, but he pulled out of that one. Swansea have also decided to make a change. Now, Swansea are not having a good season. They're 18th in the Championship. They've decided to move on from Michael Duff. Michael Duff was brought in from Barnsley. Hasn't done, hasn't done particularly well since taking over in the summer. Um, their manager was Russell Martin. Obviously, he went to Southampton. And Duff has just not done well. Six wins from 21 games. You're never going to survive. So uh two, two, I think two quite attractive jobs there in the championship for maybe an up-and-coming manager or someone looking to get back into the game. Uh, you you know Frank Lampard's name is going to come up for one of them because that's just how it works. Um, John Terry will will try and use his friends in the media, I'd say, to push for one of them as well. But John Terry, being a dreadful gang of lads, is unlikely to get any managerial job. Um, it's hard to know who they'll go for. Like, if you're Sunderland, maybe someone like Ralph Hasenhut will make sense. You know, he's a big name. He's experienced. I think you've got a group of players that would, would fit how he wants to play. 
you're used to playing an attacking brand of football under Mowbray, but you haven't been scoring the goals. Ralph Hasenhutl's Southampton team played an attacking brand of football, but couldn't score enough goals. Um, so maybe maybe he becomes an option. It wouldn't surprise me if one of them was on to Heckenbottom about taking the job, perhaps Swansea. Now, I think he should take a bit of time before jumping straight into another job. But I think he'll, be, he'll probably get a phone call. The championship is always great crack for... Um, it, it's a bit more European in the fact that clubs will not wait. They will just sack a manager and move on. Like this season, we've had Neil Warnock leaving Huddersfield. We've had Cisco sacked by Sheffield Wednesday. John Eustace sacked by Birmingham. Gareth Ainsworth sacked by QPR. Nigel Pearson sacked by Bristol. Matt Taylor sacked by Rotherham. And now these two, Michael Duff and Tony Mowbray going. Um, And like Matt Taylor still hasn't been replaced as manager of of Rotherham. He has gotten himself another job. He's taken on the job of Bristol Rovers. Little bit of a surprise one. Joey Barton obviously left the club in October, um, which I was a bit surprised that, that Joey Barton made, or Joey Barton was, was sacked. Um, I don't think that was football related. I don't think Joey Barton was sacked for football reasons. I think he was sacked because it's probably a pain in the arse to work with. Now they weren't having a great season either, but I mean, to bring in Matt Taylor, who'd just been sacked by Rotherham, having not done a very good job at Rotherham, 18.2% win rate from 55 games. I, I know he did okay at Exeter, but it, that, that one didn't make sense to me. Um, but yes, yeah, so you've got three championship tr- jobs at the moment open. And I, the Rotherham one may be less attractive than the other two. Swansea's ownership situation still seems a bit messy to me. I'm not not as up-to-date as I probably should be on it, but they're not a Premier League team, so I don't really pay too much attention. But the Sunderland job, for certain, that's a huge club, huge fan base, great stadium, good group of players. That's got to be a very attractive job to a number of people. Rotherham are seven points off safety in the championship. That's going to be a hard ask. A hard ask. Swansea are 18th. They're only one point ahead of Huddersfield in 21st, but they are five points above the drop zone. So I still think that's not a bad job at all to walk into. Sunderland would be the pick of them for, for absolute cert. Um, what are the movements in League One this season? Let's have a look. League One. Just want to catch up with where managers are and what they're doing and who's getting sacked. Uh, In League One, Dean Holden was sacked by Charlton in August. Scott Brown was sacked by Fleetwood in September. You could see that one coming. Mark Kennedy, former Liverpool and uh, Millwall player, was sacked by Lincoln in October. Barton was sacked, obviously, 
Um, and Mark Bonner was most recently sacked by Cambridge, and that job is currently still open. Uh, League two. Right, Ian Dawes was sacked by Tranmere on the 10th of September. Mark Hughes was sacked by Bradford on the 4th of October. Not good for Mark Hughes that that's what's gone on with his career. Like this guy was, you know, did a good job at City as manager. Didn't do so well at Fulham. Didn't do well at QPR. But had a couple of really good seasons with Stoke. And then it's just been a continuous disaster ever since. Um, Yeah. He'd be hard-pressed to get another job, I'd imagine. Uh, Neil Harris was sacked by Gillingham. Graham Alexander was sacked by MK Dons. Colchester sacked Ben Garner. And Matthew Edrington got the job. So I'm quite curious to see how he does, because I always quite liked him as a player. He was at Crawley Town as manager for a while. Um, It was a bit of a messy place to be. Paul Hurst was sacked by Grimsby most recently. That's the 28th of October. Uh, Derek Adams was basically bought out of his contract at Morecambe to take over at Ross County in Scotland on the 20th of November. That's the most recent managerial change, but the most recent sack is, sacking is Paul Hurst, which is a surprise. Uh, Forest Green Rovers, after their tragically poor season last year in League One, currently sitting in the relegation zone in the National League, um, 15 points from their 19 games. No big dunk to blame this season, which is a shame. Uh, we'll check in on Big Dunk and so he, see how he's doing. He was recently appointed as manager of Inverness Caledonian Thistle. Um, he's he's made a pretty good start to, to things. Um, eight games, four wins. So he has taken his career win total from two to six, uh, three draws, and one just one defeat. It's pretty good. Pretty good for Big Dunk to only lose one and eight. Four wins. Credit to Big Dunk, turning things around. The next Alex Ferguson. You just watch. Um, We'll take a break. We'll come back. We might have a quick look around the European leagues to see who's been sacked there. Maybe just the main ones. And then, uh, then we'll do the news and the gossip and be done. I'll see you after this. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Right, welcome back. So... A quick jaunt around Europe and let's see who's been firing who. In Portugal, uh, Chavez, Estoril, Vitoria de Gomeres and Aruca have all sacked their managers. Casapia's Felipe Martins has resigned. So uh, four sackings thus far in Portugal this season. Syria is always good for a few sackings. So surely we've had a few. Uh Paolo Zanetti, sacked by Empoli. Paolo Sosa, sacked by Salonatana. 
Andreas Sotil sacked by Udinese. I'm surprised they don't sack managers more, considering like, they should have had three sackings so far this season based on what we see from those owners at Watford. And then Rudy Garcia, the most recent one at Napoli. So four sackings in Serie A. In La Liga, Villarreal sacked Kike Setien. Almeria sacked Vicente Mourinho. Sevilla sacked Jose Luis Mendlebar, who just won the Europa League. Uh, Villarreal then sacked Pacheta, who they only appointed in September. Um, they replaced him with Marcelino. And Paco Lopez was sacked by Granada uh, most recently. So one, two, three, four, five so far in La Liga. In France, there's been a few. Let's see. Uh, The season starts. Okay, so Laurent Blanc sacked first by Lyon. Then we have Pierre Esteroy sacked by Nantes. And Fabio uh, Grosso sacked by Lyon. So Lyon on their third manager of the season, though only a caretaker. It remains to be seen what they do next. Uh, We've also had Marcelino leave Marseille to go and join Villarreal. Well, eventually join Villarreal. And uh, Gennaro Gattuso replacing him at Marseille. And Bruno Genesio uh, resigning at Rennes and replaced by Julian Stefan, who did a good job there the first time. So only the three sackings thus far, but five managers changed in total on the Bundesliga. Uh, Enrico Masson sacked by Augsburg. Bo Svensson left Mines by mutual consent. Urs Fischer left Union Berlin by mutual consent. Only the one actual sacking, but I think it's fair to say that both Bo, Urs, Urs Fischer and Bo Svensson were sacked, but told we can put this down as mutual consent out of respect for what you've done at this club. Because both Fenson had done a really good job at Mines. And I do think he's going to be a very good manager. Um, but I'm happy to see Mines struggling. And then Union Berlin. It's just a sad story with Fisher. Like what an incredible job he'd done there this season. It's just gotten away from them. Um, both of those clubs have interim managers right now. So, both should be on the lookout for a permanent solution. Mine's interim manager is Jan Sievert, who's the guy that replaced David Wagner at Huddersfield and was utterly dreadful. So um, we'll see who they go to next. So the Premier League, to be fair, the Premier League has been quite calm and composed this season uh, in terms of managerial changes, whereas everybody else is a bit scattered. Uh, we do have two games tonight. Sorry, yeah, two games tonight in the Premier League. Uh, Wolves take on Burnley. Obviously, Burnley got the big win at the weekend, whereas Wolves will have been disappointed to lose to Arsenal, considering they did have a couple of half-decent chances to maybe snatch a draw. But without question, Arsenal deserved that win. The Gunner, um, sorry, Wolves tonight will have no Joe Hodge, still no Neto, no Johnny Otto, he had, a, he had a training ground incident, which has been dealt with by the club, and he won't be available for a couple of games. I assume that's some sort of internal suspension or something that's taken place there. 
Uh, Rayne Nuri is unlikely to play, but Jose Sa, they're hopeful that he's going to be okay. Uh, Burnley, no Jack Cork, no Jordan Byer, no Lyle Foster, Josh Cullen's a doubt, and uh, Murich is still out with the illness, so he wouldn't be starting anyways. It makes a difference. Um, the other game tonight is Arsenal away to Luton. Obviously, the Gunners are top of the league. They're going well. Uh, going into this one, no Fabio Vieira, no Thomas Partey, no Emile Smith-Rowe. A significant doubt over Takihiro Tomiyasu. And given the injury issues he's had, they might be best just give him the extra few days. And then Jurian Timber, probably done for the season. Um Luton, no Dan Potts, no Mads Anderson, no Reese Burke, no Coley Woodrow, uh, Sambi Lakonga wouldn't be allowed to play anyway because it's his parent club. Uh, Marvelous Nakamba is a doubt, Tom Lockyer is a doubt, and Ted Menji should be okay. Arsenal are strong favourites to win that and really should win that game quite comfortably, but Luton will cause them some problems just by being big and physical and, and lumping it long. And Arsenal centre-backs don't do well in the air, especially if Ben White is playing right back because he's a liability in the air. Saliba's a liability in the air. Gabriel is pretty decent, but he's a little bit over-aggressive at times. And then Zinchenko's not great in the air either. One of the reasons Tomiyasu would come back into favour over White is because he's much stronger in the air and that helps Saliba. Um... That's Luton's only real, only real chance is just to lump long balls and hope for the best. But I think that the safe money is on a Wolves home win over Burnley and an Arsenal away win uh, over Luton. The Wolves game kicks off at 7.30, the Arsenal game at 8.15. We get six games tomorrow and then two on Thursday. So that's all quite good, isn't it? Uh, On to our news and gossip for today. Uh, obviously, the Chris Wilder news is the is the biggest one. Um, Eric Ten Hag banning four newspaper outlets. Oh well, Manchester United banning four newspaper outlets is also um, interesting news. Mikel Arteta says he wants Aaron Ramsdale to stay at Arsenal, which you know his his treatment of the young goalkeeper uh, hasn't really indicated that, but it is what it is. Um, Newcastle have been dealt the blow that Nick Pope is out for probably four months with a shoulder injury and the most recent link now to them is David De Gea which would I think make a lot of sense for them the Premier League has agreed a record 6.7 billion domestic TV rights deal which will enable Sky and TNT to show up to 270 live games a season The deal includes the BBC continuing to show highlights for Match of the Day, and it covers four seasons beginning with the 25-26 season. It's the largest sports media rights deal ever concluded in the UK. It means that the Sunday 3pm blackout will remain in place, but every 2pm, sorry, Saturday 3pm blackout remains in place, but every 2pm Sunday kickoff will be televised moving forward, which is quite good. Uh, Sky has been awarded four of the five packages and will show a minimum of 215 games a season, including 5.30pm kickoff, Sunday 2pm kickoffs, and the Super Sunday 4.30pm kickoff, plus evening games on Mondays and Fridays and three midweek rounds. 
TNT will show a minimum of 52 games, including all 12.30 kickoffs on Saturday and two midweek match rounds. Sky will also broadcast all 10 games on the final day of each season. Amazon, which shows 20 matches per season under the league's current deal, has not secured any rights in the new agreement. This is the first time the Premier League has been through a tender process for its rights since ninety sorry, since 2018. The current five billion domestic TV rights deal, which was for three seasons and expires after next season, will was extended to allow for the the COVID stuff. Um and now they'll go about selling the overseas rights and the Premier League will continue to make obscene amounts of money. Uh, Brighton are in talks with Roberto De Zerbi over a new contract, according to De Zerbi, which is very, very good. He says he has a great relationship with the players, the club, Tony Bloom, Paul Barber and David Weir and everybody working at the club. Uh, I usually work to be happy and to enjoy and I feel very good in Brighton, he said. I'm not surprised. Great place to live. Great club, really well run. Immense young talent. One of the best recruitment processes in the world. What's not to like? Like, really, what's not to like about that job? Not a surprise. He's happy to stay. Um, so BBC asked people for their views on whether Eric Ten Hag has been able to improve the performance of any player within the United squad. Uh, Paul said he doesn't think he's improved any of them. Um, Nigel says that Harry Maguire is their best player. Trevor says he's not a United fan, but the loss of form of Rashford, the failure to reconcile relationships relationships with Sancho and the difficulty integrating Hoysland appears to suggest a manager that can't manage the most talented players or motivate the more average. Ben says players with the right attitudes have progressed under Ten Hag. Juan Bissaka, Delo, Garnacho, and Maguire have all steadily improved to name four. Well, that's nonsense because Maguire has not improved at all and spent almost all of last season kicking his heels. He's only in the team now because the defense is a disgrace. Uh, Garnacho, that's just natural development of a young player. It has nothing to do with the manager. Delo is not better now than he was pre uh, Ten Hag. And neither is Wan Bissaka. Wan Bissaka has regressed significantly. Um, one day people will realize it's the lazy, overpaid, entitled players who've been United's downfall for years. I-, I thought it was the Glazers. I thought it was Moyes. And then Van Hal and Mourinho and Oli. So it was all their fault, but it's not Ten Hag's fault. Strange. Look, the players are massively to blame. Um, but not in not in this instance. This is just not a good manager. Um, I was actually asked to rebuild Leon at some point. I will do that, but it's going to have to wait because there's just not enough time to fully, fully dedicate to that. Because I need to, I need to watch a bunch of them as well. Um, but I do feel like I should rebuild United at some point. Maybe I'll take the money that Ten Hag spent, four hundred million, and I'll spend that over two seasons and we'll, we'll, we'll go through a little rebuild one of the days, one of the days when there's no midweek games uh, on to the gossip. Then former Manchester United and Spain goalkeeper, David De Gea is open to joining Newcastle, which would make sense. Pope's England teammate, Aaron Ramsdale would also consider a move. 
but the Magpies are reluctant to meet Arsenal's 50 million valuation. 50 million for their backup goalkeeper. The delusion. It, at some point, it will need to be investigated that Arteta took over a squad that had Burnt Leno and Emmy Martinez, spent 50 million and downgraded the two of them to Aaron Ramsdale and David Rea. Uh, Eric Ten Hag is battling to retain the support of some of his Manchester United players. That's been reported by everybody. So that is said, that is absolutely true. Uh, Manchester United players are said to be questioning Ten Hag's playing style and the treatment of Jaden Sancho. However, his future is not in immediate danger because United are asleep at the wheel. Newcastle and Manchester United are vying to land Guinea Ford Seri Garassi from Stuttgart in January. Arsenal are willing to listen to offers for Eddie Nketiah in January. That's a, an exclusive by Steve Kay, which is, of course, horseshit. Um, France defender Raphael Varane has expressed a desire to remain at United beyond the transfer window because no one else is going to give him 350 grand a week. And he doesn't want to go to Saudi. Manchester United, Arsenal and Chelsea are keeping tabs on France goalkeeper Mike Mannion with him stalling over a new deal at AC Milan. He is so much better than all three goalkeepers, actually all six goalkeepers that those clubs can call on. Um, so yeah, they should keep tabs, but I, I don't think he'll go to either. If I was Newcastle, I'd, I'd probably make a big offer for him. Uh, Brighton will not stand in the way of Roberto de Serbi should he like to leave the club in the future. I mean, th- they'll put a buy-in into his contract. That's what's going to happen. Uh, sources have not told um, the spoofers at Football Insider anything to the contrary. Bayern Munich face a battle to hold on to France forward Matthias Tell with several Premier League clubs interesting. I don't think Bayern hold a ba- uh, face a battle to hold on to anybody. They're Bayern Munich. Jean-Philippe Matete is seeking a move away from Crystal Palace in January and Eintracht Frankfurt could offer him a way out. That's from the Athletic, so pretty pretty reliable reporting. Um, 79 games. 13 goals. I mean, I'm not sure he's going to be one that's in in big demand, but, you know. Uh, Newcastle have taken the first steps towards signing Calvin Phillips. I don't believe that to be true. Juventus are also keen to sign Phillips and could sign him on loan in January. Chelsea and Manchester City are showing interest in River Plate's 17-year-old midfielder Claudio Echeverri. 17-year-old striker Augustine Roberto and 16-year-old winger Ian Subiabre, who all impressed for Argentina at the Under-17 World Cup. If any of them lads are in any way well advised, none of them will make those moves. They will stay at River Plate for another couple of years, continue to develop, and then they'll go somewhere like Benfica or Porto or Sporting, settle in Europe doing that, and then move on. That's, that's the path, not direct to one of those clubs. Uh, West Ham, Burnley and Sheffield United are set to compete for Aaron Cashin um, of Derby County. Talented defender, 22 years of age, good front foot defender. Um, I'm quite hopeful that he'll decide to play for England because he's not going to get, he's not going to get, sorry, I'm quite hopeful he'll decide to play for Ireland because he's not going to get England caps. Um, so yeah, I am hopeful that, that he'll do that. And if he gets a good Premier League move, that'd be great for him. 
a microchip inside footballs used at Euro 2024 will determine whether there's been a handball in the lead up to a goal and also help with offside decisions. That's pretty good. Everton are interested in signing Leon's 22-year-old Irish defender, Jake O'Brien, in January. Um, That's a strange one. I mean, he didn't make the grade at Crystal Palace. He had a couple of decent loans. Um, One in League Two and one in the second division in Belgium. Somehow he's found his way to Leon. Um, he has scored three goals this season, but he's not good enough to play for Leon. They're bottom of the league, and part of it is because they're playing players like him. Now he is only twenty-two, and I do think he's got potential, but he's way out of his depth in Leon. Way out of his depth, and I kind of feel like he'd struggle in the Premier League at this stage as well. A good Championship move is what he needs. And that's it, folks. We'll leave it there. I'll see you all tomorrow. Take care of yourself. Enjoy tonight's games. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.